Hello and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 124. Chris, it's been a while and I'd like to start by asking you if you know what the ASCII character 124 is. Oh, um, is it A? No, A no. is, okay, no, I either, don't. Either 4869, it's 486957, I think is zero lowercase a, uppercase a, or maybe it's uppercase a and then lowercase a. Four eight six nine five seven. Do you mean the Unicode? No, I don't mean Unicode. I mean ASCII. Oh, okay. Oh, but yeah, I think, you're right. I think four, it's the same. Seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Four. Is yeah, it forty-seven? So what, what, what's, no. What, what's one twenty-four? <laughs> one twenty-four is the uh, pipe character or the vertical. Oh. Uh, what's it called? Uh, vertical line or something? I lost sure. it. Uh, yeah, sure. Also, fun fact about the number one hundred and twenty-seven, or I'm oh, sorry, one hundred twenty-four, <laughs> uh, is that. 124 spheres can be arranged in a stellated octahedron, which I think is a fun shape. It's two pyramids, two square pyramids, sort of intersecting with each other in 3D. So if you have a bunch of those little buckyballs that are magnetic, if you know what I'm talking about, you can arrange yeah. those into this cool, really pokey ball. That's uh, It's got eight. Is that right? Yeah, it has eight points going all over the place. How are cool. you? I'm doing all right. How are you cool. doing? I'm doing well. I got a lot of a lot of cool stuff to update you on. It's been over a month, I think, since yeah. uh, we last recorded. So yeah, lots of lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, I think the thing I'm most curious about is your photography journey. What what updates yes. do you have for me? You, there? You're interested because uh, well, one, I went to Seattle. We can talk about that if you want, but that was super cool. I took lots of pictures, but I also have this picture here, which, which yeah. is actually not a great picture now that I'm looking at it uh, for the, for this frame. But I have to, but I had to do it quick. Uh, this is a computer monitor turned into a picture frame. What? Uh, if, if you're on YouTube, you can you can see it. Um, yeah. So I have I have the 32 inch uh, Samsung frame, and we talked about how could you do that more cheaply. And uh, so I bought a used monitor on Amazon, and then I tried several different materials uh, to get it to not look like a monitor, basically. Mm. Um, and so I ended on uh, this, which is glass, and then. Uh, acrylic and then this diffusion gel paper hmm. so this is just like light diffusing paper okay and that removes some of the sharpness that they intentionally build into monitors and some of the like super high contrast like i, I couldn't get it right just by adjusting the the uh like settings on the monitor hmm. um, but yeah i did that and then i put it in a frame and i think it looks pretty pretty snazzy that looks great yeah that i, I noticed you asked me uh before we started recording if i noticed anything unusual about it and i did not that looks just like a monitor in your in your uh, office. I think when I was researching this last time, the fancy Samsung one is super expensive and also adapts yeah. to light, so it tries to make it look like it's a natural yep. thing with the light. Uh, yeah. What do you know it, about that? And it's actually not it's not crazy expensive for what it is. It's a QLED, and they're just expensive monitors. Mm. Um, this is some I got this some used you know 1080p LCD monitor. Mm -hmm. um, since I'm intentionally degrading the picture by putting diffusion material in front of it, like it didn't yeah. matter at all that it was <laughs> lower quality, um, which is why I can make it cheaper. So yeah, the, the frame TV is QLED and it has this matte finish, which I talked about, which is essentially what the diffusion paper is, is emulating. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it, it, it adapts to light so that you're not like shining, you know, a really bright TV screen if it's really dim mm -hmm. in the room. Um, so this one doesn't do that, but I just manually turned down the brightness. I love it. That looks great. I would. I, uh, this is a great nudge for you to start your YouTube channel. I'd love to watch a YouTube <laughs> video of how you did this. And yeah, that that would be cool. And sounds like a lot of work. 
like Fair. what you can't see just out of frame is my office is a disaster with materials. <laughs> I have diffusion paper and I tried ND paper, which is really cool. This ND gel stuff. So this is yeah, like, cool. uh, um, it removes light essentially. And that worked, but made it a little yellow, which this is a little yellow. Now uh, hmm. I tried, uh, I made my own frame. Let's see if I can here. I made my own frame and then realized that it's very important to get the back square, which I didn't do. Uh. So, so then I bought that one. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, my office is the mess. Uh, the background that you I... bought, that's, that's just a regular photo frame. It is a, yeah, it's a it's shadow box. So that's why it's deep. Yeah. Okay. But yep. It's just a regular shadow box photo frame. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. This is a problem that I think a ton of people have. If you were going to make a second one, how much do you think the second one would cost? So the monitor used was 60 bucks. New though was a hundred. So probably cost a hundred bucks unless you can find another used one. Okay. Uh, the mat is $10 maybe. The frame was 20 something. The diffusion paper was, I, I bought a whole pack for like five bucks. Okay. Um, and then it, there's an extra sheet of acrylic in there, which is, I bought a pack of that. So that's like a dollar or two. Okay. The more ex most expensive part is a monitor, obviously, and then yes. you have to run it. So I have also bought a Raspberry Pi, mm. so that's fifty bucks. That's gonna run that right now. It's just a computer. <laughs> my it's like a HDMI out to my computer, but yeah, the Raspberry Pi is fifty bucks. So if you could re remove that, like if you already had that, then it would just be it'd mostly be the cost of the monitor and the frame. You can go crazy with frames if you want. You can buy you know hundred dollar, two hundred dollar frames. But... Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm hearing about a hundred dollars for the display part, and then whatever you have to be able to run the display, which might be a Raspberry Pi for another 50. Yeah. Interesting. And I think the Samsung solution is like seven or $800 for the, uh, well, it's bigger, but yeah, it's so, well, it's yeah, 600 bucks plus without the frame. So mm -hmm. it has a nice black bezel around it, but if you want a frame, that's another 150 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's expensive, but it's bigger. It's 32 inches. This seems like potentially, like what I would love to see here is a, a way to take old laptops and either fold the screen back around or separate the display and then have the whole laptop there. And then you pick up whatever used laptop on eBay. doesn't matter the size, but then there's just something of like, okay, take the laptop, find a frame that matches the size of the, of the laptop, do the little shadow box thing, whatever. Uh, and then install this software on it to, you know, you, you have your Google photos album, you paste the Google photos album into this configuration file, and then you turn it on connect it to Wi-Fi. You, you put these layers of stuff over the screen and in an hour of work, you can turn a hundred dollar laptop from eBay into a photo frame. Uh, seems like with this process, that'd be pretty feasible. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do that with Android tablets today. Um, mm. There's always oh, tablet. that Yeah, it. use tablets. It's mm. perfect. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you want to go the laptop route, the best thing I found on YouTube is you can actually just take the screen off mm. and uh, of laptops, and then you just get the raw pin connectors, and then you have to do some soldering and some stuff. But you can take that with a, either Raspberry Pi or even an Arduino, I think. And, and so if you're pretty electronically handy, you can do that. So yeah, mm. people essentially throw away like laptops or even broken TVs that are broken not because of the display you know or, or broken monitors that are you're just old monitors um so yeah there's lots of free sources of of monitors um if you look hard enough yeah cool okay cool yeah yeah I, that, that's the video that i'd love to see show me how to buy a cheap 
laptop either new from aliexpress or used on ebay and then turn that oh you'd want an you wouldn't want an ipad yeah like an android tablet because you'd want to install weird software on it show me how to take that and then make a photo digital photo frame yeah it'd be awesome you probably you could probably do an ipad too like there's software for ipads that'll just show pictures yeah okay yeah yeah i mean you can even like there are frames that you could just put ipads in also <laughs> like if it's a working ipad sure stick it in a frame maybe then, that's a okay like here's open your kickstarter the kickstarter is like you sell the frame yeah and then it's a kit to and and you sell the the gel whatever the thing is in the front uh for some standard tablet either like used ipads that probably be the easiest one to do or whatever standard size of android tablet and then you sell that for whatever fifty hundred dollars, and you say, "Buy my kit with uh, uh, used tablet on any of these other places," and then you can make your own smart yeah. photo frame that, for way less. That sounds like a lot of work. That's I'd, I'd so much put... work. Yeah, don't don't actually do that. That's, that's just what I, I want you to do. If I was going to do something along those lines, I'd just put together a parts list and put up a YouTube video. I think that's what. Yeah, I'd do. yeah. The the super easy way forward is just yeah make a blog post and show people how you did it just snap a few photos of the in-between steps but yeah that's really cool yeah your solution that you recommended i think two episodes ago of just buy the ikea shelf and then get photos yeah. printed out and, and glue them to a poster board that works great um we I, I set one up in the living room and there's a whole stack of photos behind it that you know as soon as i get sick of the photo in the front i'm just gonna <laughs> do to do and then there's yep. a new photo there um yeah i i like that solution a lot and awesome. uh, that's what i did in my living room too i printed yeah. a bunch of uh photos from the trip we just went on and so yeah when they come in which should be soon um then i'll yeah stick them to poster board and do that yeah cool love it this would be cool for my grandparents house too they have a they have an amazon echo alexa thing that sits on the table but they yeah. can't see it from where they spend most of the day which is like on the couch watching tv so if i took a smart photo frame and put it up on the wall if it looked like a real photo frame, I think it would blow their minds. They're like, yeah. hold on. Well, did, didn't that show a different photo earlier? Yeah. So the other thing you can do is just buy them. Um, mm. They exist for sure. Uh, this one is bigger than any of the ones that you can buy that are cheap. Okay. Um, but for, I think, so Aura Frame is one that I know is good quality. Um, and yeah, you can do things like, you can do really cool things with that one. You can, it has a QR code on the back and all the storage is in the cloud. So what you can do is you're, if you're giving it as a gift is you can scan the QR code with your phone, preload it with photos essentially, mm -hmm. give it as a gift. And then as soon as they plug it in, they see the photos that you selected. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you, and then like families can like share uh, accounts and, and upload photos. And so like if, you know, every member of your family has a photo frame, you can all see the same pictures that everyone uploads, stuff like that. So yeah, look for commercial solutions if you want to do that because it's, uh, they, they exist. Just not this big for this cheap. That'd be so much easier than what we're describing. <laughs> yes. It's called an Aura, O-U-R-A? A-U-R-A. That's the one I know about, but there's several. Oh, when I searched O-U-R-A, you corrected me. Yeah, Aura frames. Yeah, cool. How much are these? And they have, and they have a tabletop version and a hanging version, I think. The thing with the hanging version, so... Oh, these are like $150. This is like... <laughs> yes, they are. The price of what we're talking about. But yes, it's for much are. smaller. But Yeah, but smaller. that'd be a 10-inch one. Okay. Um, be careful, though, because I was going to hang this on the wall, and I was like, oh, I can just hide the cord in the wall, you know? Uh, don't do that. It's against code. <laughs> so oh. you, Yeah, if you if you want to put a power wall power cord in the wall, yeah. it needs to be rated for being in the wall. Yeah, um, okay. Power cords heat up, and they also can be punctured by screws and stuff. Yeah. Um, so you need a 
power cord that's rated for in-wall use. Um, Notice. Which is an additional expense. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I won't get fancy. I'll just put tape over the cord or something. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that. Yeah, I don't know. All these are the same size, but they go up in price, and I don't understand why. There's is different just... frames. One one like sits on it. One hangs. One sits on. It. I don't know. I haven't looked. And then there yeah. is. I think they may have different. I think it's free storage. So that I, that I don't know. Anyway, read the descriptions. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll read it. Cool, cool. Uh, you've been doing a lot of other stuff in photography. What else are you yeah. thinking about? So I'm going to Iceland in a week. So I'm going crazy trying to prepare for that exciting uh, i i bought a camera and returned it i bought another used camera and i think i'm going to return that one <laughs> and I, I also bought a i did this over weeks not all at once but i i ended up just buying a used version of the camera i already have as mm. a backup um the thing i didn't i didn't want to get there and then drop my camera in a lake or something and uh then not have a camera right. um, and if you buy a camera there it's like three times the price so uh yeah i just bought a used version of the one i already know and like uh and it was not that expensive and uh yeah so i'm just gonna bring two bodies keep one in the hotel room and then if i drop one in a glacier or something then i'll have a backup that's so, so extra <laughs> you are so prepared are you sure yeah. you don't want a backup to your backup camera what if you drop it in the glacier I, twice <laughs> i actually do have a backup to my backup oh uh, my goodness <laughs> not really so i have i have I have this tiny little Rico point and shoot that I talked about a little bit okay. um, and it does re give really good uh, images. It's an APS-C size sensor that fits in your pocket, which is great. Um, but it's a fixed lens. It's only 28 mil, which is like a pretty fairly wide angle. Um, so that would be my backup to my backup. Yeah. And then okay. my iPhone, of course, I iPhone takes great pictures. So it does. It's not going to get you the crazy shots that I think you're looking for for yeah, the Aurora exactly. Borealis. Last time we talked Aurora Borealis. Yeah. Yeah. I said that right. I think the last time we talked to you, we were going to practice taking some night sky photos and setting up the exposure and stuff. So you're, you yeah. feel comfortable doing that? How, how do you feel Yeah, about we haven't that? talked since then. Uh, so yeah, I, I bought the expensive lens and went to Seattle. We went all, all around the peninsula, around the um, Olympic State Park. And uh, yeah, I got some really good nighttime shots there. Um, cool. The It was like a three quarters full moon, so it wasn't as good as it could have been. But yeah, there's, there's like no lights when you get out far enough in the peninsula and so uh yeah i got the milky way which is cool and i got uh some other things i so i went out i went out till like i don't know 11 or so and then went back to the cabin we were staying in and then i woke up randomly at like three in the morning and i knew that the moon had set so i went out at three in the morning to get some shots so i walked to the beach and uh but this is bear country <laughs> And so I had a big flashlight with me, but the whole time at three in the morning, there was no one around, no lights. And I'm like, I'm going to be eaten by a bear. Uh, and it turned out it was, there was cloud cover. So I didn't get any better shots. Uh, but yeah, don't, don't go out at three in the morning uh, without a second person. I think. <laughs> a buddy of mine in college, we, there was this school trip we went on to Taos, New Mexico. So this uh, pretty isolated place. And because our college SMU has a satellite campus in Taos. And so there was this trip that we all went on as part of our scholarship group. And uh, at the time he had a long distance girlfriend. So he was making sure to like call her every night. And he went out after we had done the day's activities and it's, it's late, uh, like around midnight, uh, no one else out. And he goes and he's just kind of walking around and wandering and like exploring the campus. And uh, as he's chatting with her and he finds himself in the middle of this field uh and he looks at, and he looks in front of him and he's like oh i see a pair of eyes over there that's hold on 
oh my god that's a wolf oh this okay this is a problem and he starts walking back and he realizes to his left is another wolf <laughs> to his right far oh, off no. like you know 100 yeah. 200 yards off that's how they uh, hunt but they've yeah they've they've surrounded him except <laughs> this this narrow spot like where he can go back to civilization so uh we joke about that sometimes of like he almost died getting eaten by wolves <laughs> yeah in, oh, in the man. wild yeah i uh the, the next night uh it wasn't nearly as bad but i was out at about midnight the same thing trying to get pictures and um I hear a growl and I'm like, what the heck? And I turn around and there's five eyes staring at me. It was a family of raccoons. Okay. They growl apparently. <laughs> so it's just raccoons, but still that freaked me out. Yeah. Spooky. It's like in, uh, like in those Disney cartoons where the, the eyes like pop up out of the darkness. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You said there were exactly. five eyes, five sets of eyes, five sets of eyes. Yeah. Okay. And you could tell one was bigger and either f- it, it may have been two adults and three babies, or it may have been one adult and four babies, but, uh, That's yeah, I try to get a picture of that. I try to get a picture of that, but, I, I failed once and then got a blurry one and then just went back to the cabin. <laughs> you can practice your uh, wildlife photography for the next yeah, adventure. In the, in the pitch black. Five raccoons. I don't know how I'd do against five raccoons. That's a lot of raccoons. I, I was, they, 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 they won't attack people unless mm. they're like rabid. And so that's what I was worried about. Is yeah, like, yeah. 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 If they're, yeah. If, if they're rabid, then, then I'm in trouble. But they were keeping their distance. And so I, I was safe. But yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to be thinking yep. about how I might fight five rabbit records. <laughs> like what, what's the strategy for that? What would I do? Um, cool. Okay. So uh, it sounds like you have the, the routine down. You've successfully photographed the Seattle night sky. Do you, you, you feeling pretty good about Aurora Borealis photography? Uh, yeah. Yes. Except like it's going to be overcast a good chunk of the time we're there. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm not, I'm not, thinking that we're going to get any shots and that's how i'm going in if we do that's okay. great but I'm, I'm thinking it'll just be cloudy the whole time which it's very likely it might be so okay. yeah i'll be sending good vibes your way i i hope to see some cool photos if not of the aurora borealis i'm sure you'll find some other cool stuff to photograph yeah there's plenty of stuff there to photograph yeah oh any developments on your 360 stuff i think we talked before about like making vr videos or <laughs> editing videos yeah so I forgot I was going to talk about this too. So I loaded the Oculus. Uh, it was out of battery, so I had to charge it. All right. Yeah. So I, I I put it back on, and the controllers were out of battery. So oh. I had to find batteries for those. Yeah. I put it back on, and then the controllers each had to update independently, which took a while. Okay. And then I put it back on, and then I couldn't log in. Like, it had logged me out, and I couldn't figure out how to log in. So I finally logged in. And it had been like an hour and a half at that point, and I'm just like, ah, forget this. <laughs> so it's on my floor right now with the rest of stuff. That, I think is one of the biggest barriers to vr adoption john carmack had this really great point in a speech that he made at one of the last oculus seminars where he's talking about the friction involved in using a vr headset compared to just picking up your phone and you turn it on and it just works because you know even if you had gotten it updated and logged in there were still more steps you needed to do of setting up your boundary and uh or maybe you already did that as as part of getting to the getting it set up but... I, I had to do that like seven times every time i like took it on and off Oof. and like tried to log in and turn it on and off and like replace it yeah was, yeah maybe it was like four times but still it was enough yeah. to be annoying yeah too much um if somebody could get vr headsets working to the point where it's as easy to use the vr headset as it is your phone and there's a lot that goes into that right it's like the amount of technology you need just for the the boundary setting so that it knows where it is in 3d space and making sure you're logged in and having this be useful enough that you're still using it and, and you keep it charged and the, it's, a, it's a big problem uh and then yeah having you logged in and if, if somebody can fix that i'm 
feeling optimistic about Apple with the Apple Vision Pro, but I, I think that's what's having a solution that can do that. I think is what's going to bring mass adoption. So yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, if you can get to the point where you can watch the video, I'm, I'm excited to hear your thoughts because my experience <laughs> yeah. of it is, I think I've talked about this before, is more than any other type of media, I feel like it most accurately replays my experience of actually being in the physical space. I'm sure people felt about this when home video recorders were first invented. Like, oh my God, it's like it's like we're actually there. But, you know, yeah. it's on this tiny, stupid <laughs> CRT screen and stuff. But this it's a it's a quantum leap for me in being able to replay memories and re-experience how i uh, uh my my impression of like being in a space and uh yeah i think it's i think it's the future of how we're going to experience stuff the next step for me i think would be you know you, you record it somehow in a way that you're reconstructing the 3d environment so i get kind of motion sick if i'm moving my head around so if mm. if the 3d camera was in a place where you can't see under a table you can't like when you have the VR headset on, you can't like look under the table and see what was under there. Uh, but Maybe that technology AI. Like AI is getting pretty good at stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I can just reconstruct what it thinks would be there. It just figures out what the underside of a table should look like. Yeah. Um, eventually, I think we'll get there. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I, I will let you know. I My kid really wants to see it. And so, uh, yeah, we, we, we did take some really good like videos of the waterfalls and stuff and like, that was one of the ways we kept our, uh, my kids uh, like engaged on the hike is we would give them the action camera. And so they would like stick it inside logs and like do some fun stuff. So they really want to watch the videos. And I was like, okay. And I just, <laughs> it's just too much work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be so much fun as a kid to just have this 3d 360 camera on a stick and like stick it in logs yeah. and then be able to like be the stick in, in VR. That'd be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Anything How else you... from like oh. last month? No, I mean, working, uh, my master's starts up soon. Again, uh, I have to decide if I'm taking two or three classes. I think three would be insane, so probably two. Um, the If I took three, then I could graduate at the end of, this, at the, end of the spring semester. Exciting. Um, but uh, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. But there are three I want to take, so that's why I'm considering it, kind of. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Neat. That's all, right. all I got. How about I you? I got some stuff. All right. There's the, the main topic I want to talk about is file inbox updates. And then I've got a trip that I went on recently that I want to get your take on. And then another thing that I'd like your hot take on. So starting with file inbox stuff, uh, which I'm going to split into, into two different buckets because I'm now spending surprisingly the majority of my time in not technical development mode. And it's not it's not marketing, which is what I used to call the stuff that wasn't technical. It's like business development, I think, is this bigger umbrella that encompasses sales and marketing. So I've been working with a mentor. His name's Scott Normore, and he has uh, built a SaaS company uh, that was B2B and sold it for a whole bunch of money. And now he does more of this uh, mentoring. And uh, uh, he's so I was looking for like a, an executive coach or a business coach, and uh, Scott found me and, and got connected with me. And I was like, oh, this is great. Sounds like you have exactly the background. Like, what do you charge for this sort of coaching? And he was like, oh, I just do this for free. And, you know, if I like your business and, and I'd like to keep going, this is something I might want to invest in or he's part of the, the comm company fund. And so he might right. refer me to the comm company fund. And then I think there's a process for uh, getting 
getting money from that. So he's been amazing. Like uh, he, he has the background that I've been looking for of the way that he sees things is very much just like, okay, what's the business? Who's the person who uh, is currently using it? What type of person are they? How do we find more of that person? Okay, let's do it. And like, that sounds so straightforward, but, but I needed him to be able to find that path. So the, the step that we're on of that currently is we've identified from the customer personas that uh, he had me fill out of the sorts of people who I was doing interviews with, the sorts of people who use file inbox. The two personas that stood out the most were print shops and loan officers. Those are people who are, uh, first of all, it's a, it's a very uh, crispy, well-defined sort of person, which means I can find them on LinkedIn. I can find them on Google Maps. I know who the, that sort of person is. And then from conversations that I have with them, I can narrow down like, okay, this is the lingo that they speak with. These are the subset of features that they care about. This is roughly how much they can pay. These are the problems that they might have with their existing solutions. And then I can find more of those people and have more conversations with them and then try to sell them on it. So the current experiment is I found on LinkedIn, so trivially easy on LinkedIn to just search loan officer. And oh my God, here are uh, something like 10,000 loan officers in DFW. Yeah, so that's exciting. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot. And he uh, told me about this really, really simple sales pipeline tool called Octopus CRM that basically lets you add a bunch of people to the CRM. So you, you have some sort of search and you can say, you know, I want people in this area or whatever. And then you say, okay, import all these people. So I imported uh, a thousand people onto this list. And the pipeline, the sales pipeline for LinkedIn, I don't use LinkedIn, so this, this was all very new to me, but my understanding of the sales pipeline for LinkedIn is you uh, add a whole bunch of people who you wanna eventually sell to who are in your persona. You connect with them and you can only connect the people that you're like third relation connected with. But you know, if you're connected with a thousand people on LinkedIn, and each yeah. of those thousand people have a thousand people. Okay, well, a second level connection is a million people and a third level connection is a billion people. So, okay, that's, you can probably connect with anybody you want. And after you've sent the connection request, some percentage of those people will uh, be friends with you just because they want to. You can send a short message in that connection request saying like, hey, I'm, I'm a small business owner. I make stuff for loan officers. I'd love to connect. Uh, and then uh, we put together a really simple pipeline of like, okay, first message is, uh, hey, I'd love to chat with you about how you're currently uh, receiving files from borrowers. Borrowers is what they call their customers. They also call them clients, mm -hmm. but borrowers is a, is a more, uh, I think that signals that I understand who this person is and what the problems are. So I say, hey, I have the software that a bunch of loan officers are using to securely receive files from borrowers. Uh, I'd love to talk with you about what you're currently using and, and uh, get a better idea of it. And <laughs> could we schedule a 15 minute call? Um, so the current stage that I'm at is I've, I sent out this morning a bunch of connection requests. Uh, my understanding of LinkedIn is you can only send out 100 per week, but there are ways to send much more with other tricks. So if this works, uh, it, it could potentially be scaled up. And then I'm going to send them a series of messages trying to connect with them to get on a 15-minute call. If I can't, I'll just have a demo video that I send them. And we'll try to calculate and figure out what percentage of people can I close? Can I like sell the software and, and convince them that FileMux is the, the best solution for them to, to be receiving files? And if not, I'm still learning a bunch, right? I'm still having a bunch of conversations with loan officers who have a lot of loan officers using my product. They're, uh, of all my users, they're paying me uh, some of the most money. Um, so it might be that there's some sort of 
additional feature set or some sort of additional plugin that oh my gosh everyone i talk to the if only i had this integration uh they they wouldn't be able to pay for it so yeah that's that's where uh business development currently is and i have i'm going to talk about printers next but I'll, i'll pause there on lawn officers uh if you have any thoughts Cool. Sounds like you're you're doing the stuff. <laughs> you're doing, the doing stuff. sales. Um, yeah. The cold outreach on LinkedIn. I get those messages and just ignore them. So I'm very curious to see what percentage of people uh, Same. respond. Same. Uh, yeah, I don't we'll use see. LinkedIn. This is very weird to me. But yeah. it was very interesting to see loan officers like really use LinkedIn. They've all Certain. got really polished profiles. Yep. They've all got updated photos, and they're they're all doing playing the LinkedIn game. So yeah, I'm. Yep. It's uh, it's. Yeah, like if I was going to get a loan from a person, then I very well could look them up on LinkedIn to see if they're credible. So sure. it makes sense that they would have a good profile and all that jazz yeah. and be responsive to comments. Um, so that's interesting. I think, d- did we miss, d- didn't you walk around Dallas to go I did. to places? I did. That's, Are you yes. going to talk about that I'm later? I'm going to talk about or that you... when I talk about the printers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm very interested to hear about that. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, very interested to see how this experiment goes. Cool. Okay, let's talk about the printers then. Uh, right. So, yeah, I we, we had talked last time about my plan to just go around. I just looked up on Google Maps, print shops, and yep. I was just going to go in and be like, hey, <laughs> I, I make software for sign for uh, for print shops. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Not trying to sell them, uh, but just trying to like ask them questions about what they're currently using and uh, learn more about them sort of as a way to just do more customer interviews. And it went so well. You really? could just walk into a business and you could just start chatting <laughs> with people. And I wasn't like, so I, I've only done this uh, maybe six times, but every time I've done it, I, I end up having these great chats with people. There were like there were like three businesses where I walked in and it's just someone who works there and they're like, yeah, we use this. And it's <laughs> and I was like, do you have any problems with you know getting it over email? And they were like, no, not really. And I was like, okay, right, cool. <laughs> that's a really big printer. And they were like, yeah, it is. And I was like, all right, <laughs> bye. <laughs> and then I left. But then some of them, I was chatting with them for like half an hour, 45 minutes. And they were bringing other people that worked in, uh, that worked in the industry. And they were like, oh, and it'd be great if you could show us the file resolution. Cause you know, otherwise we have to download it and then open it in Photoshop and then go to this tab. And that'd be so much easier if we could just look in the, in the email. And I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. And yeah. Uh, so the, I, I was chatting with Scott about my experience in this and uh, he asked me, oh, did you try to sell them your software at the end of these 45 minute conversations? And I was like, oh, that, no, but <laughs> that's a great idea after I've like established this rapport and like yeah, told yeah. them about, about what I'm doing. But, uh, did you get their yeah. contact information? I did. Yeah. So there's, cause you could send them like a demo with. or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Cause sign printers, I feel like I have the feature set that would be useful for them right now. Two of the people I talked to had used WeTransfer in the past. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think it'd be good. One of the guys I talked to was like, "Hold on, you make software." I'm uh I'm, he, he was an employee there at the at one of these franchises for a print shop and he was like, "I'm I'm thinking about doing something. Could you, can you make websites?" And I was like, "What are you doing like branching out?" And he was like, "Oh, what why would you think that?" <laughs> so I might I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I could, like throw a website together for this guy or something, but uh I, yeah. I I would uh I mean, maybe you want to do small business websites, but in my experience, it's better to point him to Squarespace or Wix or something I think so, like that. Yeah, yeah. But then yeah. I can offer him like, hey, for the file uploading part of it, your current business yeah. has this existing pipeline for doing it, but uh, you could use my thing. That'd be a great way to do it, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, what else? Oh, so for print shops, the way the uh, I tried doing the LinkedIn thing for print shops also, 
and print shop people are not nearly as much on LinkedIn. I found the strategy where like, if I already knew the name of the business, some of them had a business profile and then I could see the employees of the print shop. So that's a, that's a potential way forward doing LinkedIn. But I, uh, I'm also noticing that it's just trivially easy to find print shops on Google Maps. And I was playing yeah. around with the Google Maps API. Um, and there's some funkiness to it of like, it only returns 60 results. And so you have to play these games of zooming into areas and then tiling around to get all the results of a, of a given area. But like, I have a process for how I can do that. And the Google Maps results get you the, I think I'm, I might be breaking the terms of service of Google Maps using it like this, but uh, it gets you like the, the person's website and their phone number. And then uh, if I do some basic scraping on the website, most of them have their email address listed on the website. So like from that, I could be getting a list yeah. of email addresses. Um, well, so, before you admit to breaking terms of service, um, yes. have, have you heard about a phone book? Because that sounds like an interesting use case for a phone book, which is like a, a listing. physical phone book? Uh, a directory listing or or online a, a directory listing of all the print shops in an area would be in a phone that, book i think that honestly didn't occur to me yeah would there be there's yellow pages online that's I think. so funny because i i was for like 20 minutes i was like is there just a listing of all the businesses and i was trying to figure out like api yep. business and i couldn't find any and i was like oh what about the open maps sdk no that doesn't really do it but yellow a phone pages. book a phone book is, is what i'm describing I think yeah. so. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's where I would look at next. Yeah. Yeah, if I could just download a list of all the businesses in a given area with their contact information, that'd be so much easier than what I'm trying to do. Yeah, okay. And then I'm not breaking the terms of service, which I would never do. <laughs> For the record, <laughs> I followed the terms of service of every every contract design. Um yeah, that's a much better idea. Okay, well, uh yeah, so so given a list of uh, basic demographic information about a business, like their phone number, their email address, their physical address. Uh, email address, I might have to do one level of indirection, like their website first and then email address. Yeah. Um, I'm talking with Scott later today about this, but I, I'm thinking that some other sort of sales pipeline could happen with that. If my ultimate goal right now at this stage is, I'm just trying to get them on the phone. I'm thinking uh, I could try just directly calling them that's a way to get in touch with these businesses. I could uh, send them an email campaign. I could send them like a, a physical mail campaign. Uh, lots of lots of potential in that. Uh, what are your thoughts in, with yeah. that sort of marketing sales effort? I think we talked about some of this before, but since you're bringing up sales again, I'll bring up Steli FD again. Yep. He runs close.io, which is now close.com, I think. Um, he has some amazing talks at microconf and other like uh, BOS, I think, and maybe some other places. Um, but yeah, if you want to get hyped up about cold calling people or about sales, uh, watch some of his talks. He yeah. has very high energy talks and uh, gets you excited even if you're an introvert about calling people. So I would watch some of his stuff cool. and do whatever he says. That's that's my advice. Yeah. Do you remember like a year ago when I tried just cold calling a bunch of businesses and it was yeah. awful? Yeah. 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 I'm doing it now and I feel excited about it. Like. I don't know what changed. I think I just understand the person much more and I understand much better the value that I'm putting forward. You know what I think the difference yeah. is, is like all the, all the customer interviews I did to get a better idea of who the people are using my software and what they need. And I feel much more convinced that I can help people with this sort of thing. And yeah. uh, I feel much more comfortable with their objections. And I think before when someone on the phone was like, I don't need that. We already have a thing that does it. I, like I felt that personally, like, oh man, why yeah. am I even working on this thing? Like, I, I can't tell if anyone, this sucks. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel much more aligned 
it, it feels like I'm on the right track. It's also nice to be able to bounce this off of Scott who like yeah. has done this. He's, he's grown SaaS companies in this way. And so, yeah. Yeah. That, that would also be, if you get far enough and you want to, that would be a plus one for joining uh calm capital. What is it? Calm, calm fund yeah. or something. Calm fund. It used yeah. to be earnest capital uh, and now it's the earnest the capital fund, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, or, or something like that because you're put together with people who have either done this before or are doing it now. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you have a whole slack of people doing exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean that, that might be a sort of bonus, uh, plus for, uh, doing something like that. Yeah. I could also see, I think their standard deal is something similar to the deal from, uh, tiny, tiny seed, which tiny is seed. like a hundred thousand for something like 10% of your company. So, so it's similar, but different in a few very important ways. Yeah. Just make sure you know the differences. Yeah. Okay. I'll look that up first. But uh, and uh, I've struggled with this question in the past of like, what would I do with a hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> like, uh, I I have no machine now where I can like put a dollar in and get more than a dollar out. But if I can figure out some traction of like, oh, okay, for every for every thousand loan officers that I try to connect with, I'm able to connect with a hundred of those. And then for every hundred that I send the messaging thing to, I'm able to have conversations with 10 of them. And for every 10 that I have a conversation with, I'm able to convert one of them. And one of those customers is worth whatever, $2,000. Okay, let's just connect with as many possible loan officers as I can. Uh, and then, okay, let's scale that up and, and hire a salesperson. Like, okay, hiring a salesperson is now a way that I can direct money that turns into more money. If I figure out with print shops, oh, if I send this uh maybe calling them calling them feels like the calling them feels like the move because then you're just like on the phone with them um yeah i mean but it might be something you, else it might be like an email campaign it might be a, a physical mail campaign i keep bringing that up because i'm really excited for a physical mail campaign i can like i want to i've wanted to use a physical mail campaign since i heard of yeah. lob uh and i could do it all customized and like include their business thing but that's, that's probably a distraction i want to i want to do what like is most effective maybe not uh, there's a talk uh, uh, I keep bringing up talks, a uh, YC talk, I think where, and this is going to be very vague. I should probably find it, but someone talked about doing physical mail because startups don't use physical mail. Yeah. And so if you do and you do it well, then you really stand out. Like people yeah. open padded envelopes, uh, like they do. And so, yeah, if you send very targeted padded envelopes, uh, with something interesting inside, mm. um, you'll at least get people to look at it. So, yeah, I think what I would want to do is send them a postcard that was like customized with their business name, which print shops might not be very impressed by. Probably not impressed by your printing skills. Also, people throw away postcards. Yeah. That's the problem. Hmm. Okay. If, if you, that's fine if you're sending something to like a million people, but if you're sending something to 10 print shops, yes. Um, that I would think of something more interesting and something they'll open. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not excited about that anymore because I want to do a postcard. <laughs> that's that's what you can send on love. Anyway, um, yeah, if I can figure out some sort of a thing of, okay, if you just get 100 print shops on the phone and, you know, here's the script, here's what you say. Uh, and it's a it's a nice slick process of like, here's a 30-day free trial and uh, you know, this is obviously better than the thing you have right now. And, uh, you know, I'm emailing you this demo video and your account's as set up as it possibly could be. Um and if I know, okay, that works, and, and here's the economics of it, it costs this much to, to uh, get someone on the phone and go through the whole process, and 
here's what percentage do I convert? Okay, well, that's another way that I could spend that $100,000. I could I could hire 10 salespeople to just be doing this all day. Because um, like, my gosh, how many print shops are there in the world? And I can find them so easily with our phone book. I just, <laughs> for, you know, every, yep. uh, for, for the entire United States and uh, potentially expand yeah. to other countries and stuff. Yeah. Which is exactly what Scott's trying to get you to do, which is, I think, a great, I call it a service, but it's free, right? Like he, you know, he thinks that you may, you know, be interested in investment at some point. Maybe he can get a finder's fee or become, you know, or actually invest or something like that. Mm. So he's doing the early work, which is you don't have a process yet. If you had a process, then it might be interesting to take money. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that's a great fit that you found, you know. Yeah. Very interesting. Cool. Yeah. I was struck with the thought, too, thinking about what Scott's doing that I would love to do that for other people. Cause I just love these sorts of conversations and like yeah. how fun would it Gotta be, be to, to go to a, a indie developer and be like, all right, I'm going to teach you some real basic sales stuff and you're going to start making 10 times more money. And then I'm going to invest in you at a really great valuation. And then you're going to make me 20 times more money like that. Uh, <laughs> then you just have friends that like are doing the same sort of thing. And yeah. That, that'd be, yeah. yeah I'd, I'd really enjoy doing that. Gotta make your own money first. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I want to, <laughs> Yes. Uh, cool. That's the business development update for File Inbox. Uh, ready cool. for the next part? Ready. File Inbox technical development has also been making great strides. So one of the things that Scott's been helping me with is having a business operating system. Uh, although he doesn't mm -hmm. call it that. Uh, this idea that like basically a Kanban board that I have never had. I've just been working in Markdown files, but he's like, okay, you can't work in Markdown yeah. files anymore because you need to start thinking about bringing other people on this. And uh, ideally you have just a website that people can land on and they can see immediately what you're working on and they can see how they can add value of like, oh, I can take this thing that's a, you know, this card is describing this task that I can do. Uh, so let me take this card and, and move it from uh, wanna do to doing and then and then to done. Um, and then, you know, now, now you can start having a process of multiple people working together, which like, this is a foreign concept to me. It seems so simple now that I'm seeing it, but like, I've never had to do this in my professional life. I've just been sort of working solo. Uh, and it's great. I had a developer <laughs> that my assistant found. I sound like such a boss right now. Like I'm working with multiple people and I have an assistant. <laughs> this is pretty cool. I, I like this version yeah. of myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to expand in this direction, but so yeah, Jasmine helped me find this developer uh, who's a, a college student in Boston, and uh, the thing he's most excited about doing is doing more of like the subcontracting work. But the current subcontracting contract that I have has stalled. They're trying to have more conversations before they sign it. So uh, in the meantime, I have him working on file inbox stuff, and so I showed him the Kanban board, and he was like, uh, "All right, cool. Where, where would be a good place to start?" And I thought, "Ah, that would have been a great." Thing for me to think about already <laughs> i don't know <laughs> let me yep let me think about that so i i just went through my own to-do list of the the list of things that we talked about of like things that have to happen before the serverless transition can be done and i went through all those for each one thinking like could i outsource this and if i could i added a lot more detail that i felt like was sufficient detail to be able to get it done and then i signed it to ben is the the name of this developer in boston and I'm happy to announce that as of this morning, he has, mer uh, he hasn't officially merged it. He, he just has to click a button to merge it. But like, uh, probably later this afternoon, he will have shipped his first pull request that like actually ships a feature to the website. It's uh, internationalization. So like, I have a, a bunch of strings that you can customize all the different strings in the in the page. And he built a dropdown that has a bunch of different language packs, and you can click the language, and it 
pre-fills in the the strings with uh, that language. And that felt so cool. Uh, in the <laughs> process of him doing that, he he has worked on teams and stuff. And so he, he's like worked on a startup and uh, he installed this system of like, oh, here's how you use GitHub in a team like this. So here, you know, I'm gonna work on a pull request and then you go to this page to see all the pull requests that you need to approve. And then you go through and you can add comments line by line and suggestions of things that you wanna change. And then you submit that back to me. And then I work on the changes and, and submit it back and, and here's the flow. And then after that you approve it. Then we had to set up a whole bunch of settings to like, you know, how, how do merges work? Do you squash them? Do you, uh, I forgot, there's three different types of ways that you can merge pull requests, but uh, squash, I think is, squash, is the way that we're gonna do. Or merge, yeah. Squash, rebase, and merge, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he, he knew so much more about this than I did because I've just been working on Git repositories. Like, I, I have Git repositories for all my stuff, but I'm kind of just doing it for fun just to like have, yeah. like I'm not, I'm not actually <laughs> using Git to do any sort of merging. Right. Um, yeah, so there's a process now of like, oh, I can just have other developers come in and they can see everything I'm working on with the Kanban board and then I can assign them things and then they can go into Git and they can work on it and come back. And uh, part of what Ben did is figure out like what he needed to do to set up his own uh, environment. So I could bring people on and they could set up their own development and fire, uh, development environment in Firebase and then work on projects and then submit pull requests. And then I can just merge the pull request. And then, oh my God, I'm, I'm like scaling up on the development <laughs> side. Like this is so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's uh, the update on the technical side. I, the, the list of things that need to happen before the, the uh, serverless transition is done uh, has shrunk drastically. I think I have like 10, 10 things left I need to do. And right now, like four of those are things that I think Ben can do. So that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting in a few ways. Uh, one, yeah, you're, you're doing team stuff now. Great. You're, you're doing the actual software development stuff. I forgot that you had never worked professionally on a team, right? Yeah. Like you've always been here doing your own thing. Even um, I have a, I have a quick funny story about that. There was a senior design yeah. project that I did in high school. Uh, I'm sorry, in the, in college ostensibly the, the purpose of the senior design project was like, we're going to show you how to work with teams in the real world. And you're, you're going to learn how to work with other people. And the project that my team got assigned, it was me and, uh, three other people. Yeah. Three other people. And the project that we got assigned was a web app, but I had been making web apps in Ruby on rails, just like for fun and doing contracting. And everyone else on my team had just done like the college curriculum. They had learned some PHP, but like, I just, I kind of blew them out of the water in terms of skill set. Like I, I was, I could just like churn these things out sure. and, and they had just taken classes and done some basic homework assignments in it, but they weren't like working in it. So the first semester we had to, I had done like all of the work on, on the actual application and, you know, we, we had tried to figure out some sort of a dynamic in the team of like, okay, well, what, what can everyone else on the team be doing that contributes in a meaningful way? So if there was ever any report we had to do, they would do it or writing test cases, I, I figured out a way that they could do it. And, uh, I, <laughs> so at the end of the semester, you had to write like an evaluation or like your thoughts of the team members or something. And I think I wrote something to the effect of like, well, something I learned in this project is how to work with people who are much less technically, uh, able than uh. me or something like <laughs> just very crass. I've, I've grown a lot since then, but the next thing I know I've been assigned to my own team <laughs> and, and I, I no longer am working with that team, which at the time I was really happy with. Cause I was like, Oh, thank God. There's no more overhead of like working with these people who are just dead weight. And so I was able to like get the whole thing done in like two weeks or whatever, and then mess around for the rest of the semester. And at the end of the semester, like, 
they hadn't done anything but i i kind of missed the point of the assignment which was figure out how to work with a team so even in college when i was trying to learn this stuff i think i i tended to to just do my own thing so that's a this is a point of growth for me uh of like how to how to be working with other people and i'm, I'm seeing the advantage of it that's good I, you're always growing so it's good you can look back and say uh yeah uh, maybe could have handled that better for right. sure for uh, sure yeah. I, I still feel bad about that i, I could yeah. i could track him down on linkedin maybe apologize but yeah <laughs> um yeah anyway uh the other thing i was going to say is even just the act of you uh thinking and writing out like like the different tasks and trying to figure out if ben could do them or not mm -hmm. probably gets you pretty far down your own thinking about them so by the time you've done that work you like actually implementing it is probably much easier yeah um so yeah it's, it sounds like a great forcing function to actually get you to do these features yeah for sure you know? yeah yeah even for ones you can't do just going through the process of trying to think what right. would it take to do them and the ones that the ones that he can't do are complicated for non-technical reasons it's like mm. uh, reintegrate stripe uh, involves a lot of just touching a lot of parts that i only it only has to be done once so it doesn't really make sense to go through the process of, of giving someone else access to all these because by the time by the time someone else would have yeah. access to all the things they would need to touch to be able to do this i could have just done it um yeah yeah also like there's something to be said for not just giving your intern or i guess he's an intern right uh access to uh you know all of your financial yeah. uh, accounts <laughs> yeah 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 um, i'm sure ben if you're listening i'm sure you're great but you know <laughs> ben is ben is great yeah we had a few conversations about like how to set up the git hub rules of like who can push things and uh, mm. uh my initial impulse was like to try to lock it down in a way that no one could push to master except for me or except mm. if, if it had the uh like my permission or something and uh he had a good point which was like this is a private repository if you're giving access to people uh, we, we can set up those rules uh and we may have i actually don't remember what the current state of things are but like i was asking security questions that didn't really matter because for a person to have act to have push access to that github account and to already have access to the source code like for someone to be at that stage i would already have to trust them enough that i would yeah. just ask them not to push to master and then they wouldn't push to master like there wouldn't be a problem like, so yeah people generally want to do a good job and so like e even if you do that and you either you slip up or they slip up like that that kind of mistake only happens once yeah like you only bring down master once yeah, yeah. and you like you know oh crap <laughs> and so yeah um yeah i'm excited um, there's one other thing I need to do in that flow, which is I don't have, uh, end to end integration tests. We talked about this mm. a while ago and I, I narrowed down like how I wanted to do it. I think it would use playwright, uh, and you can integrate it with Vercel so that it's automatically running the end to end test every time you push and, uh, it won't deploy to production if the end to end tests don't pass. But, uh, yeah, I had a, I had a bug that I pushed. This was before I was working with Ben that, uh, made it so that when you try to submit a form, this was only live for like a day. But when you try to submit a form, it gave you an error instead of saying your form was successfully submitted. Whoops. So that was a problem. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the end end test that I want is just like for the happy path of, I want to make sure people can uh, load the home page, sign up for an account, uh, create a new file upload page. And then when you visit that page, people can uh, send a file and, and that works. And I want that to run with every single push to master to make sure that, that that's actually going to work. Um, and then I'm sure we'll discover more bugs in the future that... Uh, would be like, okay, how could we stop this category of thing from happening ever again? Well, if there was another integration test that tested for whatever, canceling your plan, that'd be nice. So yeah, 
I think with that in place, that'd be, uh, I, I, I could go forward with, what am I trying to say? Like in the review process you, of reviewing the change, if I'm seeing that the integration test passed, I can approve the pull request with much higher confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Good to do that. I, it's also something I, I don't think I've ever actually set up and then integration tests. I've used them before, but yeah, so I don't have much experience there. Um, but it also sounds like something that, that like that might be a really good task for Ben because you have to essentially touch every important part of the app. Mm. Um, so that's like a great way to get a new person on a project to learn every part of the app. Yeah. Yeah. To have them, you know, essentially test every part of the app. Um, yeah. So then he'd be much more might, familiar with just yeah. like the high level stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's been, uh, he's been poking around a bunch and was able to successfully ship a feature, um, and like get it running on his development environment. But cool. yeah, that, that might be a good next project for him. I was gonna say internationalization is also a good first step because it's, it's low risk in that it's usually front end changes only. And mm -hmm. they also like the developer has to essentially touch all the important screens just to make sure it worked or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so like that, I have used that in the past actually as a good first project for people um, cool. or, or similar changes like that. Yeah. You know, something I haven't thought of is for backend changes, like this all works great on Vercel because if I just push to master, then um, Vercel automatically updates, but I don't have a good way to do that for the Firebase serverless functions. What that might look like is that in development, mm. you're just, you, you could push to staging and then I run end-to-end -end tests on the, on the staging Firebase project. But then if I push to master, I set up a GitHub action so that GitHub is in charge of actually deploying the Firebase function, which is going to be more complicated, but I think that's the correct way to do it. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's like a million blog posts, but that sounds like a reasonable pipeline. Yeah. Okay. Like once you add testing, yeah, you can push to yeah, either staging or push to integration, you know, like a branch called integrations or testing or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when you actually push the main, then it deploys. Yeah. Cool. Cool. There, the other thing. Yes. The other thing you could do, oh, sorry. The other thing is people accidentally push the main sometimes. And so if you didn't want that to deploy, you could have main be the integration testing branch, and then you could push to a branch called deploy, mm. which actually deploys it. Um, I've seen that as well. That's interesting. Yeah. And then I choose when to deploy. Okay. Okay. This is a, uh, this is a repository that I made before the master to main uh, change oh, became sure. more so popular. It's still, so it's, it's still master. <laughs> I, I, I still say both. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, not default to main, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, cool. I have two other quick things I want your hot take on and we have six minutes. I think we can do it. Cool. So I will by all definitions be a father probably in 49 days. Isabella awesome. will turn into Isabella and Isabella is our nickname for her because she's I was going to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we, we recently went on probably our last trip together as a couple, like without a child. And uh, yeah. the, the trip was completely free. And it started oh. from, yeah, it started from a call that Sarah got of like, hey, you're a whatever, IGH honors member or something. And we'd like to offer you a free vacation. And not only is it free, like lodging's free. We'd like to give you a $249 cash bonus for coming. And she was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, yeah, it's free. She was like, what's, what's the cash? Sounds, they were like, sounds like a scam. <laughs> it sure does. They said, no catch. <laughs> there's just a, there's just a short seminar, two hour thing. Uh, you need to attend ah. and then, you know, get the rest of the vacation for free. And so she was like, Christian, the timeshare, it's the timeshare catch. It was a timeshare vacation. And I had so much fun. 
good. Sarah and I just like, oh my gosh. So I, I researched a bunch of stuff about timeshares and like was watching a bunch of YouTube videos about these horror yep. stories of people that have bought timeshares. And uh, I found a bunch of like sales coaching videos of people who sell timeshares and learned a lot more of the inside thing and got to learn all the industry terms of like, you have the podium speaker who talks to the whole room and then you have the individual salesperson who goes and does the tour and their job is to just be like as personable as possible, make a personal connection. They don't say anything about any sort of number. They're just like selling you on this idea of having a timeshare and being able to take vacations whenever you want. And then there's the closer. And then the closer like can be kind of pushy and like they're really trying to get you to close you know yeah. this is, oh i learned i learned just everything about it. i read the whole contract and i was like what exactly are we on the hook for like what exactly do we have to do to, to get this vacation and yeah. uh like it was it was my favorite part of the whole trip we went to the the hill country which is like between uh uh austin and wait. san antonio yeah sorry wait did i hear that right the the, the sales pitch was the favorite part yeah. of the whole trip i you. loved it because <laughs> sarah and i were there just like we were we weren't mean. We were just like curiously asking questions the whole time. Yeah. And being assertive, but being kind in the way that we were assertive. And like, oh, just seeing her, seeing her work in this environment and like, work is the wrong term, but like she, you know, they would say some baloney and she would, she would like really calmly be like, well, no, it's not that we don't like, it's not that we don't value going on vacations. It's just, there's other ways to have vacations other than a timeshare vacation. And, oh man. I want to run the economics of this by you real quick. The deal they okay. tried to sell us, which is apparently like a standard run-of-the-mill deal from what I can find, is they yeah. wanted us to pay $30,000. And if we can't pay $30,000, they'll generally offer us financing at 14% interest. Yeah. Yeah. And if you default on it, it goes like to 30%. Ridiculous. Um, plus a two, two or $3,000, I think it's $2,000 a year maintenance fee which they didn't call a maintenance fee it was they had some other term for it for upkeep for your property for the privilege of being able to take a uh, it's a whole complicated system of like points and uh, i feel like it intentionally obfuscated basically it boils down to for for that ownership you're an owner at the end of this by the way they call you an owner even though you don't own anything you have you own Correct. the obligation to continue in perpetuity until you die paying them two thousand dollars a year uh even Correct. after you die it gets inherited by your after kids you and they have to like do work to get rid of this ridiculous um you so for all that you have the privilege of being able to take approximately a one-week vacation every year in a hotel room that's going to cost around three or four hundred dollars a night which is a value if we say four hundred dollars times seven nights a value of like twenty eight hundred dollars so your maintenance fee every year is basically like what you if you're if you get any kind of a deal and and you just say i want to spend two thousand dollars a year on vacations it's going to be uh better that's just that's just the maintenance fee but there's also you have to pay this twenty or thirty thousand dollar initial fee to like become an owner and god forbid you get the the 14 percent interest over a 10-year loan which means you're going to be paying twice that which means like your effective nightly rate for this when sarah calculated it out it was something like nine hundred dollars a night which is just absurd and i oh they, we were both so sad there were these two old women who were there who were like had gotten the same sort of deal and they were going to go on an alaska vacation the next month and uh as we were walking out we said they had signed up for it and sarah's in the car just like oh no we'd like we have to go in there and tell them not to do it <laughs> oh it was just it was it was crazy but going through that process especially having the one-on-one -on -one interaction with the uh sales team especially the closers like they are so confidently so smoothly 
selling this thing that's actively harmful for people. And it just gave me so much more confidence of like, I'm making a thing that helps people, that like makes people's lives better. It's like, what shame could I possibly have in that? If these people can devote their careers to financially crippling, 10% uh, uh, of, of the, uh, the American population has this, like terrible. And uh, yeah, the, oh man, how the way they dealt with objections was super interesting. They, they, they sort of just do word association on the words that you say and use it to talk about a sales pitch uh, line that they like pre-memorized that has the same word in it. So Sarah had said something about like, well, you know, we, we just really, it, this doesn't make sense to us because uh, we don't want to be locked in to, to only having to stay with this. And the guy was like, I totally understand. Yeah, being able to be locked in at this rate and save a bunch of money. Like, yeah, that's really important. Like, it was that absurd. It was, But like, he did yeah. it. I didn't do that very smoothly, but he did it in this way that, like, if you weren't paying attention, you'd kind of forget <laughs> what what had been said previously, and then you just sort of enter his reality, and you're like, oh yeah, that does sound like a good idea. But oh my god, it was, so that was that was an incredible experience. I'm so happy I did it. It was so interesting. We left it. it we were decompressing the the sales pitch for like the next day and a half um, of like, oh my god, did you notice when they said this? Oh yeah, that, that was crazy. Like, how how is this a thing that uh, people actually sign up for? But we uh, we left it. I would love to do this again, especially knowing what I know now. And Sarah was joking we could like prepare our own material in a little book of like, well, actually, if you just took $20,000 and put it in the S&P 500, like that would grow to $40,000 after 10 years. And there, oh, that's one thing I didn't cover. The resale value of uh, timeshares is nothing. You, after you it's walk negative. out the door, yeah. it's you immediately lose 80 to 90% of the value of it. There's almost no resale market for this. It's it's atrocious. Uh, if you go on eBay or redweek.com, you can pick up timeshares for like a dollar. And it's the same thing that you'd be paying them twenty or $30,000 for. Like, I don't understand how this isn't illegal. Uh, this is, this is uh, uh, preying on the financially illiterate end. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A couple of interesting things you said there. Uh, one is... It, it sounded like a, a, a strangely good marriage experience for you. It was you. great, yeah. <laughs> we got to the car and I was like, connect, we have a lot of know? things to talk about. But the first thing I want to say is, I, I love you. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's really funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people people do this. Um, and I know people who own timeshares, so I should be careful what I say. But yeah, they're generally predatory. Yeah. Um, there are certain companies which are better than other companies. I don't pretend to know which ones are better or worse. There are also things that look like timeshares which aren't quite timeshares um there's a local group in indiana who owns i think cabins and you can like essentially purchase the right to be like first on the the list of cabins or whatever mm -hmm. so that's great if you want to go somewhere that's that's quite busy and you want essentially to pay for the right to you know get first on the list for cabins mm -hmm. like but they're not offering they're, they're not pretending that you own something mm -hmm. it's essentially paying to be first on a list which i think is more clear in my yeah, mind i'm fine with it um so yeah, I yeah I, I could say a lot about timeshares, but generally they're predatory. Yeah. For your friends who own timeshares, I will recognize also there are, there are different types of timeshares. Uh, Disney timeshares apparently are more legit, and actually give you yeah. access to resorts that you yeah, couldn't so get otherwise. Yeah. Oh, you're breaking up. Right. Oh, you you got frozen, but I can. Uh, are you still there? Hear you. Oh, My internet. There. Okay. May have just died. I can see you. Can you hear me? Hello? Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. I'm hearing every fifth word. Oh, no. Okay. Wait. I can hear you again. Okay. Okay. 
I can hear. Maybe I can hear you. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, there are timeshares to places where you cannot book. So like certain Disney things. Um, yeah. Um, hello. Hello. Okay. okay. Your video went away, but I can still hear oh, you. Okay. So okay. Great. For your friends who have timeshares, uh, some of the research that I did was looking up how you exit timeshares. And unsurprisingly, mm-hmm. there's a whole economy of helping people get out of timeshares. Yeah. But most of those companies are just scamming you. Oh, no. They're just preying on people who, who, who fell for a, a terrible timeshare deal. Uh, and then that's, a, you know, that's, that's their market segment, right? Uh, so then they, they just scam those people. So uh, if you are in a timeshare, uh, you probably want to get out of it as quickly as possible, especially if you're inheriting one. And you probably don't want to hire someone to help you get out of it. Uh, you want to see if either you can sell it or if you can give it back to the the company that owns it. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a from what I can tell, predominantly a, a terrible deal. Yeah, I would generally think a lawyer like you're paying a lawyer to represent you. Like they're like they're ethically obligated to help you. So hiring a lawyer is probably okay. Yeah, I imagine that would be a good way to do it. Yeah. yeah. I would hope so. Yeah, if you if you find if you if you're just googling for like timeshare exit companies, I think uh, right, you can get in trouble. I remember as a kid hearing these advertisements on TV that were like, "Sell your timeshare for cash," and they came on so frequently, I like memorized the whole ad, but I didn't understand what a timeshare was. Or, yeah, is that like the reverse mortgage companies? Reverse mortgages. Oh, I haven't heard that. <laughs> I can probably. Oh though. yeah. Well, you got you got to watch shows that old people watch. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, reverse mortgages also generally. Not always, but can be scams. Um, it depends on how long you're going to live and, and all that stuff. But yeah, cool. Anyway, I have one quick last thing that I wanted to bounce off of you as we were driving home. Cool. Uh, I had some meditative time on the car ride back. It's like a four hour drive with just visions of <laughs> sales bouncing in my head. Um, I had an idea for potentially doing a direct sales sort of thing for Repurpose Engine, which. Uh, is no. in hibernation. I'm not not picking it back up. But I had the idea, most of the people that I've talked to with this know that repurposing is a thing that they want to do, but they haven't really done any research into trying to find tools to be able to do this. And some of them have hired people to do it in the past, but it's like a pain. And uh, it seems like there's an opportunity, especially if I'm working with an entirely automated system, to do something like cold email people actual clips from their recent videos so like go through whatever process you know figure out how to how to loop through every single youtube channel filter that out for channels that look like this channel on youtube of like they're publishing long videos uh and and it's an active channel they've published something within the last two months and then figure out how to get an email address from those people and then run that through the repurpose engine system extract a bunch of clips and then the email that we would get is like hey uh, I extracted these clips for you from your recent episode, which is very similar to a cold outreach campaign that I've received a few times about this episode, which is like, hey, mm-hmm. I make clips of things. Would you like to hire me for $50 a clip to, to make clips for you? Instead of that, the email would be, hey, the clips are already made. Here they are. You don't have to do anything. And if you click on the clip and you like it, you can pay to download that one clip. And then I could have some sort of upsells of like, if you're doing this several times or you want to save some money, uh, you know, it would be a higher price for downloading the one clip and it'd be a lower price if you want to download a, a buy a bunch of credits to uh, download a bunch of clips and uh, it's an even lower price, better deal if you have a subscription to me. But the advantage of that would be, it's not like a thing that you need to actively do. I'm, I'm reaching out with the work already done. 
and everyone seems to know that this is a thing they want to do. They just don't have the activation energy to actually do it. And I could have some sort of time pressure, which I've noticed in the sales pitch for the timeshare was like, that's a, that's a lever that you can put on people. So if, if when you click on that email, it says, or, or even in the email, it says like, if you didn't like these, no worries, we'll delete them in 48 hours. Uh, mm. That's now the time pressure of like, oh, I don't have the energy to actually post these right now but I don't want these to get lost. Like I, I like these clips. So, okay, let me, let me go ahead and buy it right now just from my phone if I'm on, on my email. And then at some point in the future, I can, uh, I can download it. That, that, that was the, that was the vision of like what a <laughs> timeshare inspired, inspired uh, sales pitch <laughs> might look like for uh repurposition. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so it's interesting. Well, Generally, I don't know if we want to be taking sales uh, advice from timeshare salespeople. <laughs> I feel a but, little gross uh, talking about it. <laughs> But that, that doesn't sound all that awful because you're providing something of value to people like, yeah, like they know they want to do it and they know, you know, but they don't even know how to get started maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's a great, I think it's a great tactic in general. Um, I would, so, so I, I really like the tactic. I would, I would caution you about doing that instead of the file inbox stuff you're doing just because like file inbox, you know who your customers are, like you're going deep down that rabbit hole and you're almost to a point where you may have a sort of scalable sales tactic there. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage you to focus on that. And then once you have that down, it'll even be that much easier to do it again for repurpose engine. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I worry if you split your focus, then you'll do both poorly. Whereas if you focus on filing box first, you can get that down. And then, um, yeah. It sounds like a good tactic, though. Fantastic advice. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's what I wanted you to say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. You you wanted me to say, forget it all and just go <laughs> engineer something. And... <laughs> totally switched over. I was very conscious of the thought that, like, you know, in the moment when I had this idea in the car, I was like, ah, oh, I should totally pursue this instead of figuring out this, uh, whatever the, the specific problem I was having with the, the LinkedIn CRM. Right. Ah, that, this would be so much fun because it's like, you know, that's a, that's a technical challenge. But, yeah, I feel proud of myself that I was able to... Uh, just table it. It's, a, it's in hibernation. Just collect yeah. those ideas, and then at some point in the future, yeah. I'll, I'll that's right. TikTok back to to working on that, and hopefully right. at the point when I TikTok back, File Inbox is making a whole bunch more money. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Chris, that's all I got. That's all I got. Too. I'll see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>